Welcome to Season 7 of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Kim Farina, a veterinarian and a writer, and I've worked in the animal healthcare industry, and before that, I was an MTV journalist and a radio personality. Yes, my career has taken me in lots of different directions. Speaking of directions, in each episode of Scrub Chat, I sit down and chat with a guest so they can share their different directions and journeys. We'll explore veterinary medicine and how it fits in with other aspects of our lives. One last thing. Thank you, Zoetis. Zoetis has generously created these podcasts to help support the veterinary profession. Today, I have the chance to chat with Nikki Castagna, a registered veterinary technician who is a senior laboratory coordinator at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore. Her veterinary career has included general practice, emergency and critical care, internal medicine, cardiology, wildlife, exotics, aquarium medicine, and now medical research. We are so happy that you could join us today, Nikki. Thank you. It's great to be here. So let's set the stage for our listeners. Tell us about your childhood and teen years, because I believe you loved animals pretty early in life. Uh, yes, I did. I always say my my first siblings were Trixie and Frisky. Um, my two older siblings, two little beagle mixes, and then my parents unfortunately had my two younger sisters after me. They should have stopped with me. Um, <laughs> but I, yes, I always uh, loved animals from the get-go, you know, very, very young. I wanted to be a veterinarian. And then that was very short-lived because then I kind of fell in love with sharks at a very young age. And I think it was about age seven or eight. And then from then on, I was driven to get my PhD and study sharks. (laughs) So that was my (laughs) whole path and my focus until you know, my last year of college. But yeah, so I was a very driven, focused child. And I just knew from reading every book I could read that I needed experience because it was a very tough field to get into. So as soon as I was able to start working, I got my worker's permit in high school, my freshman year of high school. And I applied for a job at the vet clinic where we took our dogs. And then I got the job as a kennel assistant, um, taking care of, you know, the, the boarding animals that they boarded at the clinic. And, you know, we've been working with animals pretty much ever since. <laughs> the only job I ever had. Um, so I worked at that clinic and I've kind of been bouncing around different places in medicine and animal care since. You've had a varied career. I mean, from cardiology to exotics. So, so, so walk us through some of the experiences. Um, so I started in general practice, you know, at, at this, you know, small clinic in high school, I got, I got to then move up into like a veterinary assistant position there. So got to work in the treatment room and got to learn other skills and and techniques, things that my RVT now self cringes that I was allowed to do (laughs) back then. And I thought it was great. It was a lot of fun. And I worked there all through high school. And then I had gotten a job. I had started college and I was working, you know, in vet med through college. And I I started working a shift or two at the emergency practice and I absolutely loved it. I just loved 
the pace and the learning. And there was just so much going on and so many different things. And I just really loved all of the cases and the brain challenge that it was. And, you know, I started picking up more shifts. So lots of weekends. And after all my classes during the day, I'd come and work like evening shifts. And I really don't know how I functioned back then. I really don't remember ever sleeping. And then I pretty much was doing most of my work in the emergency clinic. And then sometimes, you know, filling in at at the general practice when I was getting ready to graduate. Because at this point, I still wasn't going to stay in veterinary medicine. I knew what I wanted to do. And then my last year of college, I all of a sudden wasn't sure what I wanted to do for graduate school because my interests had broadened so much that I couldn't decide you know, exactly what I wanted to focus on. And I knew that I couldn't go to graduate school and waste time and money without having you know, a specific direction. And that just kind of you know, rocked my little world because here I was, you know, 20 years or whatever, knowing exactly what I wanted to do. And all of a sudden I was like, I don't know what I want to do. But what happened to the sharks? <laughs> I mean, I still loved them, but I also was doing a lot of undergraduate research. And my undergraduate research was with a professor who was a herpetologist. So I did a lot of like behavioral ecology research with mainly turtles you know, that really piqued my interest. And I was really fascinated with that. And then, you know, I was really interested, you know, in birds. And and so like things just started broadening because I was exposed to more. And I was like, well, this is really cool. And and like, this is, and, and so I was like, oh man, like, okay, I I really like this. I really like this. And now I'm not quite sure what direction I want to go and how I want to gear my path. And, And I was just, I was a mess. Um, so I was like, you know what, let me just take a year off, just go work in the hospital (laughs) and then figure out and go back. Obviously never went back. Um, so I graduated (laughs) and I applied and took a job up at a 24 seven emergency and critical care hospital. That was also a general practice and specialty practice. That practice had a boarded criticalist who worked there. She was a fabulous teacher. Like she loved like teaching and she would hold like impromptu classes or like would quiz the texts and like hold little lessons. And I just loved that. I just started falling really in love with veterinary medicine because of her, especially emergency medicine, because I started appreciating all these aspects that I never did before. I was learning things that I never really learned about veterinary medicine in the previous places I worked because nobody ever really took the time to actually teach you, you know, the whys behind it. And I loved it so much that I was like, this is what I want to do. Like, this is what I'm good at. And I love this. And it just, it all made sense. And it was clicking. I was like, this is what I was meant to do. Um, So at that point I was able to, because, because in Maryland, they still had like the grandfather clause. So because of my degrees, that I had my undergraduate degrees and my years that I had worked in practice, I was eligible to study and sit for the the VTNE and the state exam to obtain my license. So that's what I, I did. So I gave myself like a year and a half to study thoroughly. I got all the texts and did all of like the quiz textbooks and, and 
really gave myself time to learn through it and study and then sat for the exams for my, my license. I just loved it. So I did that. So at that practice, I was mainly emergency critical care, but they had surgery there and they had internal medicine and, you know, general practice. So I got a lot of that all combined. I had also worked in cardiology at the previous emergency and critical care practice. They had specialty practices there as well. So I was also doing shifts with the cardiology group, CVCA, and I loved that as well. Then I had some health issues. So that was kind of like a wake wake up call. And I was like, okay, I, I don't think I should be doing these 24-7 crazy shifts and I'm not sleeping and everything's irregular and I know I'm not taking very good care of myself. Maybe I should start thinking about a regular shift and let's let's be an adult and kind of take care of yourself better. So I made the move out of emergency and critical care. And it was a scary move for me because I just loved it so much. And I moved to internal medicine and I did that for many years until, well, many years in tech years, which isn't a lot for normal people. (laughs) (laughs) And and then I had my body started breaking down as many people in veterinary medicine know, and I wasn't able to continue that on. But peppered in between all of these were other things. So like the wildlife and exotics, you know, I also worked for another like GP practice, but this veterinarian treated exotics and wildlife as well, which is why I wanted to work there. So I worked a few years there at that practice because of what he saw. And he was very well known. So people came from multiple states to bring their birds to him. And I was exposed to so much. So I got a lot of hands on and got to work with a lot of avians, especially both wildlife and exotic of all kinds of cool birds that people would bring in that they had. And mammals, both wildlife and and what people had as, as pets, cool reptiles and amphibians. So I had a lot of hands-on experience doing that. And that I absolutely loved because that was more along the lines of what I wanted to do originally career-wise and what I was focusing on in my undergraduate school. You know, I never had one single focus of veterinary medicine that was this is my jam, like this is all I want to do. My interests have been so broad. I I loved it all. Like there was just so much that I really enjoyed. You know, I ended up at Hopkins because Great Danes and all the other big dogs ruined my back. So (laughs) you know that that's where I am now. I'm at Johns Hopkins. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I mean the funny thing is Nikki is that you know, what you keep saying often is, I love this. I absolutely love that. And what you were saying was things just kept broadening for me. And so one thing I want to ask you is that you could view all your interests as something like the shiny leaf syndrome or like the dog who's like, squirrel, squirrel. And it's like, (laughs) where, where you're doing something here and then there's something else that catches your attention and then you do that new thing. And then there's something else that catches your attention and so on. So I I wonder, were you driven by boredom or is it this like innate love of new experiences or you just kept falling in love with things? I love 
learning new things. I was never bored in veterinary medicine. I loved taking on new skills and information and experiences. And that's what drove me. Veterinary medicine is never boring unless you allow it to be boring and you make it boring. And I never wanted it to be that way. And I never allowed it to be that way, which is why I did so many different things because, you know, I would hear about something or see something and I would be like, oh, well, I want to go check that out. I'm going to try that. This is awesome. I love this. And, you know, I want to see this and I'm going to try this. And it was more of, I was just kind of adding on and adding on and adding on top of it and just putting on layers because I just wanted to enrich my experiences. I I enjoyed knowing a little bit about everything versus knowing everything about one thing. A Renaissance woman, here you are. (laughs) All right. So let's move on to what you are now doing as senior laboratory coordinator at Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore at a prostate cancer research lab. So explain to our listeners and me, what do you do there and why is it fulfilling? So this job, the lab that I work in is what's considered a basic science lab. Our lab is not performing any clinical or preclinical trials or research or anything like that. In medical research, there are various levels of steps that you go through to approve drugs or equipment or whatnot um, to get something into clinical use for people. Basic research, basic science is where it begins. So our lab focuses on molecular biology or genetics or epigenetics. Our lab focuses on prostate cancer. So we look at all the different prostate cancer genes and cell lines responsible for prostate cancer. So we have a lot of people in our lab that are doing a lot of cell culture or gene sequencing and things like that. I have zero comprehension or experience in any of that. I was hired because of my veterinary background and animal background. Because when you are working and doing in vitro work, so growing out cells in in dishes, and they may be testing different drugs or drug combinations on these prostate cancer cells, and they see something promising, the next step you take in medical research is to test it in vivo, so in a live being, a live animal. So that's where I come into play. The most common animal used in research are, is mice. Mice account for probably about 90 to 92% of all animals used in research. And I manage our rodent colony that we have, and I will carry out the in vivo experiments either myself or I will teach our grad students or postdocs or fellows the procedures that need to be done or assist them with their procedures. Uh, We have a breeding colony because we have various uh, different strains of mice. So you can actually knock out certain genes or knock in or have transgenic mice where you put in different genes into the genome of these animals. So I do a lot of breeding to keep, you know, various strains that we use for experiments. And it's prostate cancer, so nothing is like invasive or like crazy, whatever. 
but that's what I primarily do. And it's fun and it's interesting. I get to combine health and science. So I get to be all nerdy about it. Is it fulfilling? Not the way pure veterinary medicine is. I never thought I would see myself in a lab ever. (laughs) I actually have a good friend who works in the lab next door to mine. And she and I went to Towson University together. And we had both met at an emergency clinic that we were working while we were in college. So when I was having like all the troubles with my back and like all the pain, and I knew my time was ending in veterinary medicine, I was really upset. She's the one that had told me about this position. She's like, I think you would, I think you would like it. And I think this would be good for you. And I'm like, I'm not going to do this. (laughs) This isn't me. And the more she would talk about it, the more I was like, yeah, okay, well, I'll check it out. Um, So I did. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I think it would be good. I love working for a university. I don't think I could go back to a clinical practice after working working for a university. It's nice. Why? Okay. Why? 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 First of all, all the holidays we get paid to be off. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we just got an email. They're paying us to stay home for the entire week between Christmas and New Year's this year. I was like, I'll never do that in veterinary medicine. <laughs> uh, the amount of like sick days we can accrue, the amount of vacation days I have. I don't take my work home with me. You know, I would leave vet med and just worry over patients or wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, did I forget to like do this? Or I'd go home and like find lavender tubes in my pocket because I forgot to submit the, you know, the sample to the lab and I'd be freaking out. <laughs> You know, all these things. I don't take that home. And it's just, it's a wonderful atmosphere, especially for a place like Johns Hopkins, which is world renowned. So you have people that come from all over the world. And for someone who just loves learning new things and meeting new people, I meet people from all over the world that come to study there or work there. So it's great for me to be exposed to new people and their cultures. And I love being surrounded by so many smart people, great minds, interesting people. So I'm always learning and it's very stimulating and it's just, it's a really nice atmosphere. The work itself is not, I'll be honest, uber fulfilling to me personally, but I compensate by doing other things on the side to get the fulfillment that I need. Okay. We'll talk about those things on the side in a second, but I also understand that your interests include the One Health Initiative. So isn't this kind of tied to your current work sort of? It is. It is actually. I think a lot of things we do, I think veterinary medicine, you can kind of tie all aspects of veterinary medicine to One Health and I enjoy that because just about everything that I'm involved in currently ties into one health. And that just fascinates me how interconnected we are and the importance of communicating that message and being stewards of that and doing your work with that sense of purpose and that drive. I'm doing this for the better of all, whether or not somebody else understands it or cares or appreciates it. 
I am a part of something that I know is good and will hopefully make a difference. And Johns Hopkins, you know, with their public health department plays a big part in that. And oncology research, there's a lot of that that ties into One Health when you're looking at, you know, whatever environmental factors that might, might play in that or socioeconomic factors, et cetera. So all of that just I find that really fascinating. And even meeting these people that come from all over the world to study there and hearing their perspective and what goes on and how things are done in the countries that they come from and and the vast differences of what's done here. So you really do appreciate that the importance of this whole concept and this initiative, you know, everybody needs to be on board with this. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about those side gigs. So in addition to working in veterinary medicine, you know, itself and and talking about your current job, you've dedicated your time to volunteering at the Maryland Zoo, once called the Baltimore Zoo. And then for the past 25 years, you've been at the National Aquarium in in a paid position, in a volunteer position. So what did you do there? That's so exciting. Yeah, so I... As soon as I graduated high school, I, you know, started volunteering at the Baltimore Zoo, the Maryland Zoo, because I, again, was a driven little fool and I wanted to get as much experience as possible. So I went to the zoo, asked how I could apply to be a volunteer. This was pre-World Wide Web and got a little application and filled it out. Because I had experience working with animals, working at the vet clinic, I got to start my volunteer work taking care of their education animals. So the animals that they would take out on the zoo mobile when they would go to like schools or events, they needed people to do like the husbandry care of those animals. So they had things like little alligators and a possum and lots of snakes and toads and a big giant rabbit and an armadillo and just owls and all these cool animals. So I got to work with all these great animals. And then I was also working with their staff, animal behaviorists that they had. So I would spend hours with a stopwatch and an ethogram just observing polar bears or the black bear or the chimpanzees and had a timer and every five or 10 minutes record, you know, where that animal was on exhibit, what it was doing, et cetera, et cetera. And that was to gather data to put together the enrichment program for all of those animals. That was great. I really enjoyed doing that with the chimpanzees because I got to know them and they got to know me because I was there all the time seeing them. A couple of them when I would show up would like come up to the window and greet me and say hi. And a chimpanzee says hi to you by patting its behind. So... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, there were there were two of them there was one named bunny and joyce that were there that they had at the time so whenever i'd walk in they both come running up and like say hi to me and of course i would do the chimp hello back to them (laughs) (laughs) so it was just that was a lot of fun but i was an aquatic person so i really wanted to get in at the aquarium so i was in college and I did an internship first up in the rainforest at the aquarium. 
and that was with the herpetologists. So I did a semester caring for all the frogs. The National Aquarium is known for starting the poison dart frog collection that's now global. So they, they were pretty much the ones that collected and brought them into captivity and had them in captivity and got them to breed in captivity. And we learned so much, like now we know like they're not poisonous in captivity because it's their diet that makes them poisonous. And the majority of the world's collection that's been bred in captivity is started with the aquarium. And so we, you know, I got to work with them. And then when the internship was done, I was just like, Hey, can I stay on as a volunteer? And they're like, sure. So I just, you know, <laughs> was volunteering up in the rainforest and I would help out with the bird people up there as well. And the following year I did another internship and I did this with the Aquarius, the fishes department. And I was ecstatic because I really wanted to work with the shark. Yeah. Back to the sharks. Yes. So I was like, yes. So I got to work with Alan Henningsen, um, who was the shark guy. And so I spent my semester with him. I was just ecstatic. So I was a little sponge and just wanted to learn everything and do everything he told me to do. And that internship ended. And I was like, can I stay on and be your volunteer? <laughs> he was like, sure. So I did. That was fantastic. It was great because I was like the first volunteer he had that he actually trusted to do things. So it had gotten to the point where I think he felt comfortable if he was out or it was his day off, but I would come in and volunteer. He would just leave in the notes or let the other aquarists who were covering just be like, yeah, Nikki's, Nikki's in today, so you don't have to worry. Like, she would cover or I'd be allowed to because the large sharks on exhibit, they don't get frozen fish fed. They get fresh fish. So you go to the market, you know, in Fells Point and you go that morning and go like pick out the fish and, you know, come back. So I'd be allowed to go down in the market and I'd have to eyeball and like know who, which shark likes what and just kind of eyeball and know, you know how much they might weigh and like pick the fish and bring them back. And it's a whole big productions. There were a couple times I'd got to do the whole thing myself, do the whole shark feed production all by myself. I got to do that. So I did that for a few years. And I think by building a reputation for myself for being reliable and a hard worker and just dedicated, then it kind of ballooned from there. So then I had approached the dive master, the person who ran the dive, the scuba diving program, because the aquarium had a very large volunteer dive program where scuba divers would dive in a couple of the exhibits and feed the animals and the public, you know, got to watch them and, and love them and, and whatever. So I had approached him. I was like, hi, Steve, you know, how, how do I get to be a scuba diver? And <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've been waiting for you to ask me. So, you know, then I did all the things to get on the dive team. So then I added that on. So then I was doing like rainforest and sharks and diving. And then, you know, at this point I was like, I can't do the zoo anymore. Now it's too much. So I had to like quit my stuff at the zoo. So now I was up in rainforest and sharks and diving. And then I started doing marine animal rescues. So now I was doing that as well. So I would come in and take care of all the stranded seals or the dolphins and porpoises or the sea turtles that they would get. 
And that was a lot of fun. And then I had talked to the hospital manager of the animal health department. And I was like, hey, do you ever take volunteers for butt tags? (laughs) And she she was like, yeah, we have. And I'm like, okay, cool. Like, because I would love to do that, just get experience. She's like, all right, sure. So then I started doing that. And like, you know, Dennis was getting crazy. Nikki, I have to interrupt you because I'm like crying here because I'm like, I, my question was going to be how our listeners probably want to know how do you get land these volunteer roles? And I think I know the answer. It's doing an internship and then you ask, can I stay on to be a volunteer? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And then just be a lunatic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so, but, but in all seriousness, I need a tissue because I got to wipe my eyes. But like, w- w- would you actually say, because these are such cool opportunities and people die to do these, have these opportunities. So is your advice really like to land these roles, you see if you can do an internship and then you just you, you prove yourself and then you say, can I stay on as a volunteer? <laughs> what is the advice? My advice to get into this type of field. First of all, you can't be shy. I am a shy person by nature, but I was so driven that I knew I had to be aggressive to get it. You just have to be competitive and you got to come out on top. Just suck it up. Pick up that phone and call send that email, go in person, do it. Just ask. If you are in college, getting a degree, uh, working on you know, in like biology, doing undergraduate stuff, go do undergraduate research. You got to do it. Find out which faculty member in your department is doing it. See if you are interested in that research. Walk up to that professor and say, how do I get to do some undergraduate research with you. That's all you need to do. That's what they want you to do. No one's going to hand you research. They want students to be proactive. That's what they're looking for. Then you apply for an internship or apply for a volunteer position. You have to show initiative. You don't sit and wait around for someone to tell you what to do. You read the manual, get the book, say, what can I take out to read to learn? Or what can I do here? Bring your notebook, write things down, make the initiative. Don't stand around and wait for it to happen or wait for someone to tell you what to do because it's, it's not going to happen and show up, show up on time, do your work, do a good job. Don't half-ass it. Show that you care, be personable to others. That's really what it is. Okay. That's good. Really what it is. Good. Well, I think we have time for one one or two last questions, which is how have your life experiences prepared you for the work that you currently do? In other words, this is what I'm asking. I don't think you can draw a straight line from your first job to your current job, like A to B. It's more like this path is like A to Q to H to L and then B or 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 do or am I wrong? Like, help me understand this. No, (laughs) it's definitely not a straight line. (laughs) It's definitely not where I wanted it to end up. And as a person who was so driven to do what I wanted to do, I still have a hard time 
accepting and dealing with that. Like, this is not what I wanted to do. This is not how I wanted to do it. But you just try your best to treat it as an adventure, find something out of it that you can make work for you and turn it into your advantage. That is what I've done career-wise. Okay, how can I turn this into my advantage? Okay, so I'm not working in clinical medicine anymore, doing this volunteer on the side. What else can I do? Like I miss vet med. Okay, well, you know, I see all this going on. Let's start a vet tech association. This is what I'm going to do to give back to vet med. So, you know, you do things like that to alter your path in a good way. And that's what I've done. You always just find things to your advantage, reinvent yourself to try to keep going, to get around that route, to get around that rock. You're going to have, you're going to fall down. You're going to trip. And I have so many times, but you just get yourself up with a walker (laughs) and just keep going forward, get around the next route, get around the next rock. And you just keep going and, and try to make it work out. I think that's great. I love that, that you just get up even if you need a walker. Mm -hmm. So my last question is, is even doing all this, you still like to hike, you bird watch, you travel and you, and and in my research, I learned that you love good cheese. So I was just wondering if you could just wrap this all up with what makes a good cheese? (sighs) First of all, it's got to come from Europe. (laughs) (laughs) I love cheese. Cheese makes me happy. Um, I always have. I love so many different cheeses. I don't even think I have a favorite. It depends on my mood. I just think it's a, a wonderful, brilliant food. And it fascinates me how they ever came across and discovered this from milk. <laughs> from an animal. Uh, but I love it so much that my my trip, I've taken another trip to England this summer coming up. And I actually booked a B&B stay for four nights in the town of Cheddar, England. <laughs> Where is the snare drum? But I'm bumped. And I'm so excited. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. That's awesome. Well, I think, Nikki, you have proven that vet med truly is never boring unless you allow it to be. Oh, my goodness. If that's one thing we take away from this podcast episode, that's what it is. And I just want to I I mean, time flies when you're having fun. And we had a lot of fun. And I thank you so much for sharing all your stories with us. Thank you. I had a great time talking with you. (laughs) (laughs) This wraps up another episode of Scrub Chat, a podcast of sharing stories by veterinary professionals for veterinary professionals. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at scrubchat at zoetis.com. And please don't forget to share and review this podcast so that we can produce more in the future. We are grateful to Zoetis for the support. I'm Kim Farina. I'll meet you back here next time. This is Scrub Chat.